and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 455. What if? What if we recorded twice in four days? (laughs) Or two days, actually. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we are actually talking about the DC, or sorry, the DC, uh, the Disney Plus uh, animated series, uh, What If, uh, which is nine episodes total. Yes, a very odd, very odd number. For sure. Uh, and uh, just wrapped up the other day. So I was about to woohoo, but I refrained myself. You can. Woohoo! There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So how do we want to tackle this one? That's a very good question. We could we could either talk about. Well, we could obviously, be, if you wanted to begin with general thoughts on the season, but we also could just go through. Yep. Go through the episodes and go thumbs up and thumbs down and what we think of them, because I'm sure there's going to be some episodes Either both or either one of us are not going to think all that much of or have much to add about. And then there's going to be other episodes that are more interesting. So, well, well, I mean, since there's an overall arc that doesn't get revealed till later, we should probably go what episode by episode. Okay. All right. So obviously season one, episode one was what if Captain Carter were the first Avenger about Peggy taking the super soldier serum instead of instead of Steve. To me, that's average. You know, Haley Atwell doing the voice is cool, but this is one of those things where unless Haley Atwell is actually on the screen being Captain America, it, her doing the voice, especially since the animated character doesn't really look all that much like her in the big picture. It looks generally like her. Gene- it looks like a generic brunette, pretty much. The reality is I thought this one was OK. And I, I thought I would I would probably rank it as in the bottom, certainly the bottom half of the episodes for me. Uh, I mean, I personally really enjoyed it, actually. Uh, I thought it was a strong start. I really I really just enjoyed being in that world again, honestly. Um, it, it honestly made me want to go back and watch the first Captain America movie again. Uh, I didn't, but I, it made me want to um, and see kind of the ties there. A lot of the ties uh, in, in these episodes uh, and the references to the films were so on the nose i guess uh, but i guess they kind of had to be if you wanted to, to align in some way with what the what the viewer already knew but i i mean i enjoyed it i i you know the the role that women played in world war ii was very interesting and uh you know the the fact that uh let's see what's the characters john flynn uh banned her from combat and everything as opposed to even sending her out doing a what were those shows Cap was doing? Propaganda? Yeah. USO, I'm going to assume they were USO shows back. Yeah, oh yeah, USO shows. But I mean, 
arose by in and of a name. It's still, it's still propaganda. Yes. <laughs> morale. They were they were entertainment and morale for the troops. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, selling war bonds and all that. So it was interesting that she didn't even get that much. But, you know, she 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 does her own sort of take charge stuff, which I thought was pretty interesting. And um, it was also interesting that at the end there, she met Nick Fury, you know, kind of like when Cap wakes up, he meets Nick and everything. But Clint was there. Well, that would make sense because Clint was already attached to the hip at Nick. If you if you look at that as almost with what was going on towards the beginning of the Avengers movie, that's where Clint was. He was with Hawk. He was with uh, Nick Fury. So. True, but I mean, like in terms of mimicking the the first film, Clint wasn't there. Oh, the first the first Captain America movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, but but then again, she she wasn't frozen the way Steve was either. So. Oh yeah, that's right. She comes through the portal. The under portal. Ground. That's the reason yeah. why she basically goes into shoot. Yeah. Goes into Shield, and that's why Hawk. That that was. Yeah, I could have been more direct, but that's why that's why Clint was with Nick Fury because. Interesting. We didn't see uh the Doctor there then. Well, he was in a, working in a different part of the building, I think, at times. Or he could, or he could have been at that time. Sure, yeah. Yeah, he's the same building, but not necessarily. He could have been taken. A, could have been anything. He could have been taking a break. But yeah, that, that is true. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't see Eric at all in What If, mm-hmm. right? We didn't even see him in the Thor episode, right? Uh, or did well, we? I think no. I don't. We didn't see him, but I think she called him. I think you were correct. Yeah. I. Uh, what do you think of Howard Stark's role in this? Did you first of all? Did you watch Captain Carter? I mean, not Captain Carter, uh, Agent Carter. The two. No, two I did not. I did. Other than maybe the first episode, I never watched. A, I never watched Agent Carter. I. I mean, I do like the World War II era Howard Stark period. So it. It worked. It you know it works for me. But I didn't. I mean, I didn't dislike. I didn't dislike the era of this. I just thought it was. Ironically, when I mean look at the season as a whole. Some of my other criticism as the season went on, I would. In retrospect, I probably sh- should like this episode more because if this was just a standalone, this is kind of like cl- in a way classically what what if would do. If you look mm-hmm. at it from a comic book perspective, you know, things like that, like if like with what what if uh, what if Rick Jones, you know, became the Hulk instead of Bruce Banner, you know, things like that. If Bruce if he, so if Rick got the brunt of the gamma blast instead of Bruce throwing him into the trench and he, you know, vice versa. But I don't know. I. I can see why people did like did like this one. It's just when I look at it, when I look back on this, and, I, and I'm got, and I have to be honest, I don't know if there's any episode I really loved in this in this series, but probably this episode is almost like maybe dead center. There's nine episodes. Maybe this one would be like right, like number in the middle, like number five, whichever way you were counting down for me. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I wish it would have been a, a stronger. For me, it wasn't as strong a start as as it was for you. All right, so what was in the next episode? I don't have to get my link. Hold on, because I've got 8,000 tabs open. There we go. Uh, what if T'Challa became a Star-Lord? That's one of my my absolute least favorite episodes, even though there were some cool moments in it. But one of my big complaints about this season, I want to find this link. It's driving me crazy. I'll delete there. There we go. Uh, I understand why logistically and logically why they did this because they it was now or never. But I think T'Challa had way too much of an imprint for a nine episode season that he was way too he was in way too many episodes and had way too much of an imprint considering arguably had more of an imprint in what if than he did in the MCU during the time his actual on screen role and, and importance. 
I didn't like this episode. It was, it was, to me, this is a stretch. I understand how they set up the dynamic, how it was possible, how he could be taken by the Ravagers and yada, yada, yada. It was entertaining, but it wasn't a storyline that I, I cared about. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I thought, it, I thought, especially, you know, in the animated style, I really, I really liked a lot of the visuals for it. I don't know if I agree with some of the choices made, for instance, you know, the 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 heel turn that that Thanos makes um, or hero and, turn, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and everything. So I'm not sure I'm not sure how I feel about all of that. But at the same time, it was entertaining. It was funny. You know, you make T'Challa Star Lord, and you know, you the Guardians of the Galaxy whole thing. You know, the the shtick and the the comedy that was involved in that when you set that where you set that movie and, and a lot of the visuals with it, it kind of by putting Thanos and some others in that kind of com- comedic vein in, in a little bit, it, it almost in a way mimics that, that uh, feel. So I thought that was interesting. Nebula's role was also interesting to me. I did like the kind of triple agent thing that she did there, um, which was really cool. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the, the whole, fight with Tavon at the at the end that was also fun but also so weird as like Tavon was like portrayed as this almost big beefcake dude and that's <laughs> Tavon is like a sniveling coward in, in some ways like I know that he's supposed to be one of the ancients in the universe and stuff so like okay you know you kind of give it a pass but you know to Tavon never really struck me as a a go-getter <laughs> you know what I mean a, a fighter even even what he does, and, and of course Chad is referring to the collector. If it makes people easier, yeah. an easier rec- easier recognition there. Uh, even even as the collector, he's more or less paying people to go, to go bring stuff to him. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That that was actually one of the, that was one of the things I really didn't like about the episode. It's just like oh, so the so the void filled by Thanos because Thanos became a good guy is that the collector stepped in to be the bad guy here? Yeah, I. No, I I thought I thought that was one of the I thought that was one of the weaker parts of the episode personally. Maybe if maybe if they hadn't done that, I actually would have liked the episode a lot more. But that was like, yeah, yeah, that, that didn't work for me either. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy that. But I I mean I I don't I don't I, you're not the first person I've heard who says they didn't like that that episode, which was interesting to me. I I I particular I actually really enjoyed it, uh, especially like I said, especially the visuals. I liked. I like the little t- the twists and the turns in that one more than I like the Peggy Carter one. So I, but again, it, it's not, it's not a subject matter that meant much to me. I mean, it seemed like t- it, it's, it's like a weird peanut butter cup where it's, you know, two tastes that don't necessarily naturally go together. It's like, why, you know, T'Challa in a different story, as we've seen, as we would see, cause he's in so many of these in, in different ways that that's okay. But, you know, combining guardians of the galaxy with, I mean, with, with T'Challa and it's like, I don't know. It was inter- again. None of these were. Almost all of these episodes were entertaining, but that still doesn't mean that I re- like. I really loved any of them, and this mm-hmm. was this is one that. Yeah, this is this is another one that's in the middle of the road for me. Yeah. Well. Okay. Um. So before we move on, so what what did you not like about in- the inclusion of T'Challa in so much of this? Because obviously this was, I mean, it's, it, it's not a post-mortem decision. They, 
they obviously scripted and wrote his lines and recorded him. So the season was sort of mapped out. With no, him. I know. And I, I understand that, that conceptually that, but, but, but you would also have to think that maybe because of where he was health wise, that they maybe steered some of these things in, in that direction, knowing that this, this was, this was going to be some of their last opportunity to get anything out of it. You know, literally getting the blood from the stone in this case that I just seemed it was really, I mean, just like Captain Marvel had a big imprint on this season too. And I understand T'Challa more because T'Challa is at least, and, and the actor who portrays him is, has been, is, is much more appreciated and liked than either Captain Marvel slash Brie Larson. But it just, when you look at how little Captain America played in this season, that kind of bothers me. I mean, Tony was in a few and you know, the ongoing gag with what happens to Tony and in, in most of these episodes, but it just, it just seemed like an odd choice to, put him front and center beyond the fact that, Oh, the, I maybe ideally would like to spread given the choice. We'd love to spread these out during two or three seasons, but because we know we're not going to be able to. So let's do as much T'Challa as we can, because we're not going to touch the character again. It just seemed a little, I don't think based on pacing or based on, um, what's I'm trying to find the best word that from a creative perspective, I think it was, a, I think there was a little more redundancy than that there would have been otherwise if not for the urgency of let's do everything we can with this guy. And if it wasn't, then it's even more Then it's even a worse decision. If that had no impact at all in the, their scripting of these nine episodes, then to me, that would be even a worse decision because T'Challa didn't have, everybody loves Ch- T'Challa and obviously everybody's sad about what happened to Chadwick Boseman. But the reality is his actual imprint on what he did in the MCU during his short period of time there was not, overly substantial other than his in his relationship pretty much with cap and bucky and things like that so i don't know i just seemed like they could have told better or more or just or maybe at least as interesting stories about other characters that were kind of like overshadowed by going back to the well over and over again with i mean you can make the same case with loki have, having loki show up in so many in as often as he does but at least but it's that but t'challa had a much bigger imprint overall all right. The next episode was what? What if the world lost its mightiest heroes? Which is interesting because the the fact that you know number one the fact in case we didn't for those that didn't realize it, that you know Nick almost all the events and the like the first solo Avengers movies well like Iron Man Thor things like that the, the recruitment of all these characters more or less took place in the same in the same week in the same time frame but the fact that they're all being they're all, we're seeing scenes that we saw in the movies, but basically one by one by one, all, all all the original, almost all the original Avengers are being killed off one by one, just so we find out, which is cool because we get insane Hank Pym and at least they put him in the yellow jacket outfit, which based on comic books makes more sense if he's going to flip a gasket, have the asshole Hank Pym be yellow jacket. But I actually I did actually like this one. I thought because because of it, because of the mystery of it, because of trying to figure out what was going on and who and who was doing it. And and even the even the little com the little comical twist at the end where Loki takes advantage of the situation and take over the Earth. I actually did. I actually did like this one. Really? Yeah, I think think, I think we might be being opposite on most of these. This was the first one I didn't like. And why didn't you like this one? Because this one felt so. Point A, point B, point C, point D. All right, this one, this like it, it. 
the the deaths of like the Avengers held almost no weight. It was sort of they they almost had no power. I mean, I, I get that they they're playing with the whole tiny thing and the real sheer power that somebody who can shrink down and re and I guess the word is officially embiggen or something themselves what that could realistically do to somebody uh if you you know went inside them you know punched a nuclei off of a off an atom or whatever you know things like that but like it just it just felt it felt so quick it, it, i didn't get a lot of substance i think out of that the stuff with hope really meant nothing because like while we know who hope is and things like that it's just like there's still, you would think, some sort of setup uh, or buildup that needs to be done to the character. Even if you're already familiar with the character from your universe, this is a different experience. This is a different turn of events that happens in this universe. So uh, essentially, it's a different character. So th- there is some level of getting to know this new version that needs to happen. And I didn't really feel like that was happening here. It just felt like point, 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 end. I mean, I can certainly, I can certainly see that. Uh, I think, to me, to me, it works because of the, in a way, because of the natural adversarial relationship we know Hank Pym has had with Shield for a long time, and thus anybody who works for Shield is not going to be one of its, going to be any, anywhere near the top of his, on the top of his positive list in the way he interacts with people. The fact that Hank, they, you know, they do kind of riff a little on the stuff we've seen in the comic books before about Hank, about Hank Pym being unbalanced. And it also goes to the idea of showing how powerful, despite the ha 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 of it, how powerful Ant-Man as a character, whichever Ant-Man we're talking about, just the suit and the gadgets that go with it. Like the way they get rid of the Hulk by just enlarging his heart so much. He just explodes. I, I did cut. I did like that because Ant-Man is real funny to make fun of the character, but all, all jokes aside about him crawling up Thanos's butt, but it does kind of show that, yeah, if he could have Ant-Man, if Ant-Man was, was participating in the fight, Ant-Man absolutely, in theory, could have done something like what Hank Pym did to the Hulk and go inside him and basically just put those one of those discs inside, you know, and just enlarge Thanos's heart. I'm not saying it was great. I'm saying this was I think the mystery aspect of it is what is what I is what I enjoyed putting the putting the two and two together. And it kind of was pointing to, to you know, Ant-Man, what, whichever Ant-Man it was going to turn out to be. It made sense. It was, it was Ant-Man after a while, especially with, with Hawkeye not pulling the trigger himself. And but, you know, I this was probably this was the one that overall I thought worked the best for me out of the out of the first three. Well, agree to disagree. But let's talk about something that's going to really generate some uh, conversation. Episode four, which was what if Dr. Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? Probably the episode that had the most direct, the ramifications of this episode were, were probably the ones that shook out for the rest of the season more than any of the others. As an episode, this one was highly entertaining. It was entertaining from the concept that it was it was a parallax tale of Doctor Strange, even though you had to accept, which was which is hard because this is not our Doctor Strange because our Doctor Strange was a cold bastard. He cared about Christine, but he hardly cared about Christine enough to do you know, to, 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 to go to the ends of the earth and beyond like he, like this version of Dr. Strange does when, when he loses her. And it's like a fixed point in time in this, in his universe that cannot be undone that you have to accept the fact that this version of Dr. Strange is more warm and fuzzy than our Dr. Strange, which is just, like I said, it's a stumbling block 
because our Doctor Strange is not like that. But the, but the idea of suffering great loss and the in the will in trying to gain enough power to be able to rewrite things and do things over and bring back what you've lost. Obviously, it's a very parallaxian story. So I thought it was depressing the way it ended, even though you can make a case by the time we get to episode nine, it's kind of like you get a little bit of a almost like a final night kind of ending for, for Doctor Strange. But still, I, I thought this episode was was entertaining. I mean, yeah, for sure. Definitely entertaining. Uh, definitely also really cool looking, you know, again, visuals. That's I mean, that's really the thing about animation is you can do a whole lot with animation visually that you wouldn't be able to do in either live action or would be able to do, but could pull off hokey or be just super expensive and things like that. The the stuff with the tentacle monster or whatever it made me for, you know, because, again, guys, I'm I'm somebody who consumes a lot of the MCU, in, including the entirety of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and Agent Carter. And because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. went down the whole Hydra uh, um, creature route, uh, which turned out to be the first inhuman. When I saw the tentacles, I was like, are they going with Hydra here? Like, what is this? Uh, what What is? But obviously I looked that up and that's supposed to be a, a, a different type of being in the Marvel Universe. Which we um, also saw in Captain Carter. Yes, we also saw it in Captain Carter. And and I got the same th- – th- thank you for reminding me. I got the same ping in my head. I was like, is this Hydra? Um, but uh, regardless, yeah. Uh, for me, you know, I, it reminds us obviously of, of Emerald Twilight, but it also kind of reminds me of, of uh, you know, the dark multiverse stuff that we've been seeing because it was our first, you know, super – I mean – to say first is not necessarily fair because of episode three, but it's our first like true, true blue. This is not a happy ending. This is not a, and the story continues in their universe in this setting sort of a thing. It's just like a, Oh, it all ended. <laughs> it's all, it all screwed up. So that led for, to me to, you know, cause we have a, you know, a lot of people use Slack for work from home. I use I use Slack and stuff and, and, and for internal chats in the company. And we even created a channel for MCU conversations. So as being the DC guy, I was, when this episode came out, I was talking, I was educating the masses on the dark multiverse and, and Emerald Twilight and stuff. But it this one was really shocking that it did go that deep, that bleak and dark at the end. Because I thought, I don't, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought just, you know, Given given the the three that we had gotten so far, it, they almost all sort of ended on and even if something has gone wrong, there's still hope out on the horizon, sort of a thing. Uh, so for this one to just immediately go so dark was 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 really interesting. That is true. This is the episode that kind of changes the tone of the season, as far as if you thought you were going to be getting all like you said, if there's always going to be that silver lining in the cloud, no matter how overall less than satisfying for the from the character's perspective who were dealing with these situations that they were always going to have that silver lining or we well we knew there was that silver lining for them even if they didn't realize it yet themselves this kind of just changed that and it's kind of a common theme going forward for a lot of these episodes that it's not that things do not end on a positive note yeah for sure i mean i really enjoy i think so far of the four we've covered I'd probably rank Doctor Strange number one of the four so far. Yeah, I would too. And it's the highest rated episode on IMDb of the of the nine. Okay. 
Actually, let me take that back. I just realized Ultron. What if Ultron 1 is technically at 9.2? Doctor Strange is at 9. So there's a lot more votes for Doctor Strange. So it's possible that at the end of the day, maybe maybe it will go back to being number one, but it no longer is. All right. So episode five, what if zombies, which mm. is certainly an interesting episode. I mean, I think it was the one everyone was looking forward to the most, at least at least among the comic book fans, because Marvel zombies is something that you instantly recognize. Yes. And while I'm certainly not a, f- I'm not a fan of the concept of, oh, you're zombies, but you essentially operate the way you did when you were not a zombie, as far as using your powers and things. Mm-hmm. I, that, that, that's, that was a tough one, especially because there are some illogical things that happen in this episode. Like we were, we're told that the, because of how the, you know, you know, the brain, the virus and everything, the, that comes out of the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, quantum realm. Mm-hmm. That uh that the whole West Coast is where the zombie invasion starts. So the Avengers go to the West Coast to deal with this. Then why is Captain America on the East Coast in this when they're when they're dealing with they're doing in the beginning and the actual events of this episode? Why is Captain America back on the East Coast? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I know technically they can excuse it by saying, oh, we could have flown the Quinjet, but why? That doesn't make that that doesn't explain the why by just saying it it, it could happen. I mean, just like even 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 Tony being there uh, doesn't make a doesn't make a lot of sense, because why would you I mean, maybe you could say, well, for Tony was coming back home. So there was something that was drawing him home or maybe it's still being hardwired in to deal with threats like you normally would. But the Captain America thing in that scene on the train made no sense because he should still be on the West Coast. Why would he be back on the East Coast? Hmm. Um, plus, technically speaking, the Avengers would have been the Avengers would have been broken up at that point. But I guess you're trying. I guess they want us, which would make sense, I suppose, that that would be one of the events before Thanos and the Black Order showing up that would push the Avengers back together because zombies are a pretty big problem. <laughs> but there were some really cool things in this episode, Spider-Man's and this was our first what Spider-Man episode and you had Spider-Man with the with the with Doctor Strange's cape. That was that was cool. Happy with as long until you know as long as Happy was in it while he was in it that that was kind of cool. Again, Hope was cool even though again you would think after she, after she helped them get to the but Lehigh or get back to the base you think before she completely turned, she could have not only shrunk back down, she could have like she could have destroyed her own tech. <laughs> she knew what was going to happen. You'd think it wouldn't. She could have at least made the effort to do that uh, instead of just w- waiting for giant woman waiting. You know, waiting that was waiting to happen. Everybody saw that one coming. The Hulk stuff was cool. I thought the I thought ba- I thought Banner and Ruffalo and Banner and the Hulk their relationship in this was cool, and it did. And it did mirror enough of their struggle in Infinity War where I thought that was I thought that was appropriate. I'm uh, the vision heel turn with, you know, with Wanda, I guess I guess they just really want us to believe uh, on some basic levels. The Wanda vision relationship is toxic. I guess that's what they really want us to believe <laughs> that no matter what, one or the other is going to be t- is going to be drawn to to go way ab- above and beyond to some extent that they should never deal with because of their their love for each other uh bucky was good uh again another i, I mean t'challa's role in this episode was, was better but again that just seemed like they wanted to have t'challa in an episode it could have been almost anybody that they were feeding they were using <laughs> they were using as food like to feed wanda it could have been any of the could have been anybody else really uh if they had wanted it to be and 
And I like the twist. I like the twist at the end that you again, you thought it was going to be a happy ending because they were going to Wakanda and be able to use the work that the vision had done and realizing the Mind Stone was sending out a essential a frequency that disrupted the zombies. And, and there was a way to cure them because of what they did with with uh, Scott Lang, which was funny. Just to find out, oh, which makes sense because we already because it is a, it was a perfect bookend because they began with the Black Order arriving because we were in the time frame of Infinity War. And then what happened? Thanos obviously showed up, but he ended up being infected. And so you would think he, with the Infinity Stones that he had, he probably could prevent himself from being bitten. But he ends up getting bitten and then he ends up being zombie Thanos getting all the Infinity Stones. So. Which makes you wonder, does he still wish for the same? Does he automatically wish for the same thing? I guess. I guess. I mean, they still the zombies still seem to be driven by some semblance of instinct and by maybe some sliver of memory that yeah. still exists in their head. Like not necessarily enough to like, you know, act on it in some sort of purposeful way. But enough that they there's a, enough of a sliver of recognition or a sliver of a thought to drive or, or to guide that sense of instinct a specific way. Which is essentially when you, when you, when you really think about it on that level, it is more, that is very much like traditional zombie stuff, at least George Romero stuff. It's like day of the dead, uh, dawn of the dead, excuse me, with everybody gravitating towards the mall, you know? So it's like, it's almost like you that your your day in day out, which is, which were co- concepts, that, you know, even in, um, I think there was some. There was obviously there was some of that in Day of the Dead too, but but Land of the Dead, especially the idea that so much of what the people used to be that they still gravitate towards even in in zombie form. So that so in a way that makes sense. It's just curious that would zombie Thanos have enough consciousness to be act to actually make the same decision when he when he snapped? Or would, we end, or would that in universe just end up a universe of zombies? <laughs> but this one this one I didn't like so much. I think. Uh, thus far, it's my second least favorite one of the ones we've talked about. Um, you know, I've, I've talked a bit in the past about sometimes you'll read something, you know, you'll you'll read something. And while you may be interested in it, certainly you, you get like two page, two or, you know, you, you've been reading several chapters and then you're reading in some more. And then suddenly like two or three pages go by and you realize your eyes just sort of glazed over the pages and you didn't realize, Oh shit, I got to go back. What, what, what did I just read again? Uh, that sort of happened to me with this episode, the actual uh, script and the plot really didn't do anything for me. It in some ways didn't make sense to me, but it was a zombie story and cool zombie stuff was happening on the screen uh, you know, cool zombie versions of characters and ways to which you can see them using their powers and stuff. It was a it was a good visual episode, but I really didn't feel anything of substance there because it's really the only the only uh, episode, save for another for for one other uh, at certain points, where I just uh, you know I allowed my mind to wander. You know, I, I was digging around searching on my phone for a couple of things and occasionally looking up at the screen to see good instances but like that that whole was it a bullet train or whatever ride that they were taking did like i just that like i can specifically remember i was like oh okay they're talking all right well what's going on over here Uh, and then glancing up at the screen occasionally when something changed um 
but yeah, that that one didn't do a whole lot for me. There wasn't a lot of substance for me on that one, which isn't to say again that there wasn't entertaining things to see on screen. Like again, you know, the zombie Thanos thing, and of course, talking about it with somebody gives you stuff to speculate on or whatever. But like, simply watching it by yourself and this one, I just kind of allowed my mind to wander a little bit, which to me mean is is a, as a sign of something was missing to really just capture and hold my attention. No, I certainly can understand that. All right. What if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? My least favorite episode of all nine of all nine. I, I dislike the only, the only saving grace about this episode is for the people. And again, who are horribly misguided the people. And we've heard, and we, and we heard a lot of this when the black Panther movie came out that, Oh, Killmonger was really right. And Killmonger was a good guy. No, Killmonger was an asshole. And if you needed any more reinforcement about how Killmonger essentially is an asshole and is not right, that's the one saving grace about not only this episode, but what if as a whole season one, it reinforces that he's an asshole, that he that he does not have the as as T'Challa says, paraphrasing that his way of dealing with suffering is more suffering. That is that is the Killmonger way. Now, is Killmonger clever in the way he's all this? the way he's setting up Tony Stark in this and Tony's a little too naive, but then again, we also have to understand that Tony didn't have, didn't end up going through the experience that made him less of a ass himself because he was denied that quote unquote, because Killmonger prevented him from being captured from being wounded and being captured. But the, yeah, this, this episode is just, this is like one of the more frustrating episodes because you see this jerk manipulating almost everybody and getting getting away with it and getting away with it and and all these better more important characters are getting killed off and being set up and the end with shuri and pepper which of course does pay off and as we get to the end of the season but the reality is that's that's a little bit of a saving grace and it makes it was kind of cool to see shuri as a little girl which would make sense because when at that stage, she would have been more of a little girl when when T'Challa first started being Black Panther. That the reality is this, yeah. I don't like Killmonger. I'm a little be I'm a little Michael B. Jordan out because again, he seems to always play the same kind of character or act the same way, regardless of whether the character is supposed to be the same or not. But specifically, Killmonger is not a good guy. He was not right. He wasn't right in Black Panther. It's so. Uh, that's the only thing I would say about this episode. They kind of they got that aspect right about him. If case people needed to be reinforced about was Killmonger a good guy? Was he right? Was this one of those where you could was this one like one of those black uh, dark stars, Green Lantern things where you could look at the two sides of just no. This is Killmonger is not a good person and he's justifying what he's doing like a lot of people do. The ends justify the means, but his motives are not noble and his goals are not noble. But it was cool seeing uh, Ross get played yeah yeah but we've seen a lot of that but you're right you're <laughs> it, it, it it never gets old let's put it that way because it because he's such an, an ass himself yeah that it, it, it's good to see him get his comeuppance when he thinks he's knows it all and that he's again got the tunnel vision i mean obviously because i'm more of a dc guy i lean one way or the other but to me general ross and general lane both of i can't, I can't stand either of those fucking guys yeah <laughs> I can't argue with you. <laughs> to me, they're almost one and the same in a lot of instances. Uh, there, I, there's almost, I mean, but with Lane, at least there's a little more 
you know, because of what you know about him, there's a little, sometimes a little more redeeming quality. I never read the whole Red Hulk stuff, so I don't know if there's anything better, or more redeeming to be learned about Ross, but regardless. Uh, yeah, this episode was, I didn't hate it as much as you did. I don't, I don't think I really hated it at all. I did watch it. I did, it, you know, obviously like the others, but specifically referring to that effect I mentioned last episode, about last episode, this one kept my attention. I was curious about where we're going with all of this. Also, it was our first sort of Iron Man centric stuff. And because it started so early in the, you know, MCU that we know, I was curious as to, you know, timeline wise, what could be established that they could play with here. So that was enough to really hold my attention. But yeah, I, I, I agree for the most part, the, at least it sort of reinforces that the, the dude's an idiot or the dude's an asshole. So I kind of wish we, we would have gotten more with the Shuri Pepper thing. I know we see it a little bit more with them in later episodes, but that's one of those ones that we never see, unless I'm forgetting something, we never see him return and what happens when he returns. No, I think, and actually there's an article I want to mention. I think, I think it's implied that basically he's going to get dealt with that. Yeah. Because remember, they're being returned to the exact, almost yeah. everybody's being returned to the exact moment that they were taken from. So he's going to be, he's going to be sent right back to that moment where basically Shuri and Pepper and everybody are basically are in, in Wakanda about to basically deal, deal with But him. But is he? Well, which we'll get to, we'll get to. It almost would have been, now again, I, I respect that they did this because this, considering how things go and the blurring of the lines between right and wrong, that they could have made, in theory, a more interesting episode by making Killmonger not an asshole and making him actually a hero in this, or at least more, more making it more gray. But I respect the fact that there's there, that Mar- Marvel send Marvel sending a message, and that's the, and, and at least the creators of this and their take on Killmonger and he, that, he, that he's a jerk. And there's another take on a different on another character when we get to that uh, soon. That at least I appreciate what what it means by showing what the character, you know, a certain thing the character did and it's almost like flipping the bird to some of the things that we saw in the movies. So it's like the opposite. Instead of reinforcing it, it's showing you, Oh yeah, that's the reason it's kind of like, Oh yeah, this is probably why they did this because, or if not, this would have happened. So, all right. So Killmonger was my least favorite episode. Episode seven is my second least favorite, which is what seven is my number one least favorite. Yeah. What if four were an only child and the only redeeming quality of this entire episode is the is the post the pseudo post credit scene, which leads directly into the two. Even though it's not it technically is a two part season finale. It's not like they, it's the same episode title, part one and part two, but essentially it's a two part finale. And that's the only saving grace. Now, I don't think this has been confirmed, but there was some speculation or rumors that actually they actually filmed. They originally planned to release the Thor one before Killmonger, but because it fits so naturally, they didn't want to leave that hanging out there for another week without any like, what does this mean? They wanted to build on the huh, what aspect of it. So that's why they switched them and released. And I think I think the main reason they, they think the speculation is that is because when you look at the when you look at the watcher in the episodes, he becomes more and more less and less translucent transparent and more solid as the series goes on but i think in those two episodes it might be a little it might be a little reversed i haven't gone back to double check whether that's true or not but they seem like almost like a flip book that it was almost like a flip book where you can barely see him in the series starts and by the time you get to like episode eight and everything that he that you can that he's like completely physically 
there as opposed to just like a frat, you know, like in the clouds where you can barely see his shadow or just a hint of him. But yeah, the idea that, oh, if what if Thor were an only child? So basically they never, Odin never took, never adopted Loki. So Thor is this undisciplined party animal who's going to, who basically these are wreaks havoc wherever he goes, including destroying planets, not intentionally, but basically all his party spots and are, are, are getting kind of getting decimated. There's so many reasons not to like this episode. The stuff, Loki being a, being a frost giant, Loki was cool. <laughs> that was, that was kind of cool. And the cameos by other, by all the, a lot of the other galactic characters we've seen like Aisha and, and what Nebula and things like that are okay. But number one, I'm sick of Thor being portrayed as, as an asshole. And I don't mean as a bad guy. I mean, they take that back because I've used that word already way too much as, as kind of like this douchey frat boy moron. I'm as a sick. Chad. Yeah. No, yeah. no offense, but yeah, no, no, no. But I, I know, mean, I know what you mean. The, using I'm the, the most unchad Chad there is, but I mean, the, in the same way people call people a Karen, He's yeah. a Chad. He's a Chad in this thing. Yeah, and we've and we've had enough. Thor being funny is an, is is something else. Thor being just as you know, being this irresponsible party party animal moron. Yeah, that that's kind of been played out. Of course, we had to get the requisite Captain Marvel stuff, which I didn't like at all. The only cool thing about it was when he dropped the hammer on her, mm-hmm. which is a which is a trick he did way too little. He should have done that to Thanos too, by the way. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I didn't because we we also didn't we didn't mention that you know Captain Marvel shows up at the end of the what if all the Avengers were wiped out episode because that's because basically Nick Fury is going to be putting together a new team he calls in Captain Marvel which is going to go work along Captain America because he hasn't been thought out yet and we we revisit that world too and when we get to the final episode but yeah this this is a this is a cap this is a Captain Marvel episode and it's. That's not the reason. It's, it's just this has no sub, no substance to it at all. I didn't like the way Jane was portrayed. God, it's, it's yeah. even embarrassing. Natalie Portman did the voice in this. I guess because I guess because of the movie. I guess she was <laughs> because of uh, Love and Thunder. She was willing to do it, but it's like it just Darcy was fine being Darcy. But yeah, this was this was really stupid. This was the stupidest episode and the most unimportant. So literally, if you took away that scene of the Ultron in the in Vision's body having the Infinity Stones, which is like, huh, what? You take away that end credit scene. This this would be this this would have no no merit to it, not not no consequence and not nothing redeeming at all about this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think I th- it, 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 it it's almost made worse by the fact that you get almost two Janes in this thing. The the Jane that you're pissed off with that actually goes along with Thor like a love struck teeny bopper but then also the jane that you would expect who just straight up tells on him to his mother <laughs> like yeah th- that you're like okay that's a bit of the jane we know which just proves that she was there all along so what the hell was the other shit <laughs> yeah and they're both and then both going out and get stupid and getting tattooed after they shack up right away yeah i don't know it was yeah. dumb it was really 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 dumb and like I said, the Loki, the Loki stuff showing up at the Frost Giants, and you think there's going to be a conflict, and then you realize that this Loki and this Thor are like are really good friends, because uh, because they don't have they don't have the 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 rivalry, the the uh, the family brother dynamic at work, so they're just as as friends, and basically as similar and similar positions in their respective kingdoms because of being like um, the crown prince essentially to their in their world that I. I which, did, which which also doesn't make sense because 
they they make it seem like Loki was like some sort of a lost child and they gave him back to the king. No, Loki was discarded for being a runt. Giving him back to the king wouldn't have done anything. He still would have been despised by his own father. But was he discarded in the, in the movies the same way he was in the comics? I'm I'm pretty sure he was discarded in the movie. Because I don't remember if I don't remember what what how Odin describes that. I know that is part of the that is part of the story and the. And the I comic remember books. him finding the the kid, but it's not it's not uh, Laufey. Laufey is yes, the is the, yeah Laufey is the fr- the father in the in the Frost Giant King. When Odin beats Laufey, he doesn't kill Laufey. He doesn't imprison Laufey. So there's no reason for for. Uh, Loki to be abandoned he was discarded because he was the runt well even if that's true in the movies and they're playing off of that the reality is we all we also know there's things that ha- that happen throughout this series that don't make a lot necessarily make a lot of sense based on other rules that have been established with so yeah. I I, you, I guess you could chalk it up again it's a half an it's a half an hour episode that and Loki is hardly the main character it's something that there may be background that would explain it but it's just for comma. It's basically done for com for comical effect for the most part. And I also like Jane constructing sort of a ET phone home for for Heimdall. Yeah, that was that was. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so now on to the Ultron stuff. What if Ultron won, which is episode eight, following up following up on that appearance by Ultron at the end of Thor, the Thor episode. Well. There are some questionable things here. I mean, to say the least that I don't, do we ever really get an explanation for why he's able to use the infinity stones in all these different universes when we're pretty much, they've been told that they only work in the universe that they're in, that they come from. Yeah. I think that, really. yeah, I think that's, that's, that's really, that's really shaky. I can, I, we, we can buy how Ultron could have won because obviously if Ultron could have gotten control of the vision's body, which was his ultimate goal, that was going to be his final shape and form that he certainly could have beaten the Avengers and destroy and launched the nukes and, and, and done things like that, that because again, if Jarvis, if Jarvis never gets put into, never successfully gets put into the vision's body, then you're just going to be dealing with Ultron's consciousness. And he has none of the filters that Jarvis helped basically the aspect part of Jarvis that became vision, that part is gone. So, so there, there are no, are no filters. There are no filters. The part of this episode, I, there are a couple of cool things in this episode. I did like the fact that he killed Thanos. I know a lot of people said, Oh, wow. He shouldn't have been able to do that. Well, maybe the Thanos wasn't prepared for it is kind of stupid because he is coming to get the other infinity stone, but the vision, the re, but the reason why I like it is just because it's kind of like flips the fingers to the Russos. And we've talked about this, that the way they purposely crippled and emasculated the vision almost immediately for as plot armor on purpose for, for this very reason, because the vision, if he wasn't crippled would have been an incredibly difficult opponent, certainly for the black order. And, but even for Thanos himself, he would have been a tough nut to crack. And they just kind of like reinforces that idea that you that you have, especially when you look at it, that you have, again, an unfiltered vision. Yeah, he didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate. Yeah. He, yeah. So so that the, based on a pure power scale that this reinforces that, especially with the Mind Stone, that the vision could have been a real dangerous opponent and could have really had its chance 
to along with the rest of the Avengers fighting side by side, just like we never never got the explanation for why he gets crippled so much he can't heal himself, even though Wanda's healing him in, in Scotland. And then at, but then she has to stop because she's fighting. Why doesn't she care? Why doesn't she heal him completely after they're done fighting and they're on the Quinjet makes or the pseudo Quinjet? It makes no it made no sense other than the fact that the Russos pretty much did that to all the omnipotent characters. They did it to Thor. They took him out of action and, and then and then and then screwed up his head. They, they took away the Hulk from us and then they took away vision. So I did like that. That in a way it was kind of like flipping the bird that this is the vision we could have gotten that we that we only pretty much never have seen in the MCU that this could have been the vision from a power scale perspective, obviously not personality. Uh, and I also, and I did like, and I did like the fact that of, of him, well, I kind of like the term, uh, the Terminator aspect of this, where after he achieved his, after he achieved his goal first on first on, which of course Thanos open, literally opens the door because Ultron is just thinking on the, on the planetary level. Thanks to Thanos and the infinity stones. Now he's thinking on the cosmic universe level and he pretty much goes from planet to planet and wiping out life as, as we know it to try to make it more, a more perfect union. Then we get again, our captain Marvel, our captain Marvel sighting, which again, the good thing about that is the fact that once again, she's cocky and she's arrogant and, and she meets and she meets her match. But I like the fact that like, in, like in Terminator, he thinks he is basically now he doesn't have a purpose anymore because he thinks he pretty much achieved his final goal. He's got nothing else to do because he's got, he's pretty much laid waste to the universe, including ego. And it was kind of cool seeing him go step by step, taking taking different dealing with different planets and different threats. But but then the fact that he's on a higher plane of consciousness now, pretty much because he's just all he's it's almost like he's like he's a computer asleep. But he's still functioning, but he's just not by them. But because he's on this higher plane, he's able to hear the watcher and see the watcher. And then, of course, then he becomes aware of the fact that there's a multiverse and this just gets him going. It's like, oh, so now his plan is to go to everywhere, all the different multiverses and wipe and wipe all of them out. And that that's pretty much the main the main plot of this episode. So to put things in context for DC fans, is the place in which the Watcher is essentially the bleed? Isn't that what the bleed is? The sort of space and energy between multiverses? Is the bleed where hypertime is? Or is that something different? I think hypertime is different. Because in a way, it almost, it almost struck me as, I mean, I, you're probably more technically right. But to me, it struck me as more of, of well, when they first introduced hypertime and one of the kingdom comes. Uh, spinoffs the idea that that it's almost like all these tv screens that you're watching all the all these different universes and all these different possibilities but you probably are right it, it's probably more it probably is more like the bleed so basically the the watchers the one the watcher screws up by being a little too being a little too open a little too intrusive in, in his observation that ultron becomes aware of him and then creates a whole nother set of problems <laughs> Yeah, I also liked. Uh, I mean, I think I think my favorite stuff here is is Clint and Natasha, just because I do kind of like how broken Clint is. Like, yeah, it's depressing and everything, but like, you took the two the two most human members of the Avenger Avengers team, and they're the only ones left. And the idea that giving the two people with really out without any real, I mean, let's let's face it. Uh, it's it's an android in a vibranium body with 
with the infinity stones like if you were I like if it was just you and I the only humans left on the planet and you happen to be good with a bow and arrow and I happen to be a super spy like even we would be like I mean we're fucked right <laughs> like like, why even try? <laughs> you know? It's like Clint, Clint's line from Age of Ultron is like, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes any sense. <laughs> you know, and, and to take it back to DC, like the you watched all the the robot chicken stuff, right? Yeah. That scene where they're all fighting, the Justice League is all fighting in like the cafeteria or whatever. And there's a, a quick scene where Wildcat is standing in front of Darkseid and he turns around and goes, uh, was I supposed to fight Darkseid? Because I'm a guy in a cat suit. <laughs> 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 he just gets vaporized by Omega Beams. Uh, like, you know, the same, but but at the same time, it's like Natasha pushes Clint. She tries to keep him on his feet, give it a little humor. Uh, and like, even though he's, even though like he's like, he's checked out and checked out to the point where like he's going to sacrifice himself, knowing, Knowing and believing uh, that they really don't have a chance, but just give Natasha and you know the the Zola bot or whatever <laughs> a, an, enough enough of you know give him five minutes more. He has no idea if what he's about to do is going to you know keep the rest of the hordes of these uh, of these uh, Ultron bots coming up and catching up with them, but. He's going to sacrifice himself for something, whether it gives him five minutes or, or 20 weeks. Like, it doesn't really matter. He's like, I'm on my way out anyway. I can't do this anymore. But he still manages to be heroic. They still manage to be in some way hopeful, in some way heroic, in some way carrying on, despite things being such so heavily stacked against them. And obviously, I mean, like, like I said, Clint just straight up. I mean, he he sacrifices himself, but let's be honest, Clint gives up and still in manage manages to be heroic. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, he's he's in a similar place for different reasons and he, and he's handling it differently. But he's in a similar place to where he was when we see him in Endgame, when we reencounter him in Endgame, that he he's lost. He has nothing. And and of course, it bookends what an Endgame, because now he's the one to make the sacrifice for the greater good and for the potential chance to win that he's the one that makes a sacrifice instead of, instead of Natasha. And obviously because of the background and the history of friendship between the characters, in a way it would make sense that if you would not from a power perspective, clearly, but Natasha and, and Clint are the two that have the longest and the closest actual real friendship that goes back you know, before, before the Avengers were, were anything more than a Nick Fury's wet dream. So the reality is it, it, it makes a certain amount of there's a certain poetic justice to it. If, if it doesn't make sense, there's a certain justice to the fact that they were the last two, the last two Avengers. And it also makes sense from an Ultron perspective also, because he would also perceive them as even by choice. They'd be the least important to kill because they're the last, they're not really as much of a threat to him as anybody else. They would be if he was going in order of killing Avengers based on their threat potential, those would be the last two he would kill anyway, because they're just not, they're nothing to him. Yeah. All right. Final episode. Episode nine. What if the watcher broke his oath? Well, this episode comes down to, and this is where we get the tie, we get the tie in. And, and to be fair, we didn't mention the, um, the after credit scene in episode eight, which is where the watcher goes back to the doctor strange that we saw before, who basically was, tr- was living in his own little 
uh, bubble universe there because of, after everything that he had done and and he just kind of was like living in living in this little prison of his own making that he goes to Doctor Strange and, and it's like a book. It's a book end because Doctor Strange was asking for help because he knew the Watcher had the power to basically undo this, undo the damage he had done in his episode and said, well, you can just punish me instead, but basically let undo the damage to all the innocents. But the Watcher wouldn't interfere. And now the Watcher is here acknowledging that, well, now I have to ask you for help in, to interfere. And Doctor Strange being Doctor Strange, yeah, I want to hear you say it. <laughs> I want to hear you say you're going to break your oath. This Episode 9 picks up on this and basically uses the Watcher and uses Doctor Strange to recruit all these other characters we've seen throughout the other eight episodes and recruit them all one way, one way, shape, or form. So we get Star-Lord T'Challa, we get Captain Carter, we get Jerk-Off Killmonger, we get Stupid Thor. They bring all these characters together as the Guardians of the Multiverse, but the plan is to stop, to stop Ultron. They eventually, and Gamora, which was cool because we hadn't seen actually Gamora before. That Gamora is in a different universe where she killed Thanos and she's wearing Thanos' armor and she's working with a Tony Stark that actually is alive. Which is kind of like a running gag in this mo- in this series, and that, that Tony Stark, whenever you see him, ends up dying in different ways, whether he's zombified, whether Killmonger kills him in that episode, uh, or Ultron kills him in in the What If Ultron One episode. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, the episode featuring that variant of Gamora was planned to be a part of the first season, but was delayed to the second season due to COVID nineteen related production. Ah. That would make sense. Yeah. But so, so the good news is, I guess we'll see that. And it kind of set up an interesting dynamic between her and Tony anyway. So it would be, it could be cool. So there's no guarantee Tony won't die when we actually see the real episode with them, depending on depending on where where in the course of events the Watcher show, showed up. All these Guardians of the Multiverse get put together. They fight Ultron. They tease you with this Infinity Stone destroyer that, that came from Gamora's world. But of course... Once again, the the paradox that only works to destroy it was only designed to create to destroy the, the device was only created to destroy the Infinity Stones from her universe. So they didn't work on these stones, which, again, should mean that these stones shouldn't be able to be used in all these other universes. Defeat Ultron by getting Z- Zola into him. Zola ends up taking over that Ultron's Ultron's slash Vision's body. Killmonger being the asshole that he is ends up using some of the nanotech to get the Infinity Stones himself. Zola and Killmonger start fighting over the Infinity Stones at a back-and-forth uh, battle in which the stones are kind of like how Rey and Kylo Ren fought over the, the Skywalker lightsaber in Last Jedi, except instead of destroying the stones or before they had a chance to possibly, which probably wouldn't have happened, that Doctor Strange realizes the whole plan the whole point of the watcher of getting them together was not to actually defeat Ultron truly, but was to get, separate the stones from, from anyone's either any of these characters bodies that could use it for harm. So he creates like a po- little, like a, like a pocket universe bubble that traps Zola and Killmonger. We would assume indefinitely fighting over the stones and Dr. Strange volunteers since he's got nothing better to do anyway, to watch over, to watch over this prison because of course, if they get it, if they were to escape and somebody were actually to get the stones and the threats of the multiverse would exist again, all the characters, all the characters get returned back to their own time, but in the time they were plucked out, except for black widow, the black widow from the world, if Ultron won, because basically her world's already destroyed. She has nothing. 
left. So what the Watcher returns her to the world of what if the Avengers were all killed. So she joined, basically she ends up joining the team that consists of Captain America and Nick Fury and Captain Marvel. And she ends up joining that Avengers team as they're trying to fight Loki to basically get Loki at not ruling the earth anymore. And there's, and I guess there's a little bumper scene with, with Peggy Carter in her world where they find that the, but the Hydra stomper has been discovered and supposedly someone is supposedly alive inside, which we were, of course, we'll assume it's Steve Rogers until proven otherwise. And we assume it's Steve Rogers in a sort of Bucky type situation. Yeah. The winter stomper. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that, I mean, it was fun. It was interesting, but you know, it, it, we, we talked about it that we'd come back to this later. So Killmonger doesn't get dropped back where he was plucked from. So I guess what happens to that universe or once the struggle between Zola and Killmonger does end, does he then, once that ends, does he get cooked or is that, that struggle supposed to go on forever? I think the struggle, I think the struggle is supposed to go on, go on indefinitely kind of like in a very, in a weird way. It's kind of like when, even though we know that this didn't last because conceptually it shouldn't have lasted because it would have been a problem down the road. But when they split doomsday into the three transport tombs, transport tubes on the moon at the justice league watchtower, and that's the way they were going. That's where the way the way they dealt with Doomsday and one of those one of those cross and one of those Doomsday Returns moments. They just b- broke them into three pieces and they were going to keep them in stasis permanently. Three pieces of Doomsday all in stasis, so he would never be merged back into one. Yeah, you're right. So the, the gap. So because because Killmonger is removed from his his world of uh, basically taking over, because we assume at this point he's either taken over Wakanda completely or he's he probably has, but either way, as we know, that was his plan. That the with Killmonger gone now, whether it's Shuri or whatever, that they're going to regain control over Wakanda in that universe. But yeah, you're right. That's a, that is that is the one. Well, I mean, assuming the Dormilage don't fight back, and plus we assume that uh, uh, Killmonger's uh, aunt, uh, Shuri's mother, is still there. She seemed to really connect with and and the and feel like Killmonger proved himself on the battlefield so but don't forget Shuri had the all Shuri had all the evidence oh yeah that's right the odds so the odds are that this was kind of it it was it wasn't as much of a coup d'etat as a you know or if it was a coup d'etat it was going to be one that there was a lot of people on the inside opening literally opening the doors and allowing people in the reality is that once you once you find out all, all, all you would need to do is find out that, technically speaking, that he was the one responsible for killing T'Challa, let alone anything else. And if he did, and if we assume uh, T'Chaka is already dead, we don't know how he died. We don't know. If, we don't know because Killmonger didn't seem like the type he was going to be willing to wait around. So he probably, assuming he was king at that point, he probably already was respons- directly responsible for killing T'Chaka. But yeah, we we, we don't know. We don't know. Technically, they wanted to. They could revisit that world because T'Challa's already gone, so you don't you don't have the Chadwick Boseman recasting problem, which is interesting because I was reading today that they were that they were supposed to they wanted to do a spinoff of the T'Challa as Star Lord into its own series. Mm. Ugh, I I think not. So that's what I mean about being a little too T'Challa heavy. Could it could it have been amusing? Yeah, I don't think of, of all the characters. Even in these nine episodes that you were going to spin off to do another world, to maybe even if it was only going to be like a limited thing, like a, a one season thing of all the different worlds we saw, that's that's the one they were that they thought of giving us a spin off for. Yeah, I think that's I don't I don't yeah, I don't buy it at all. So 
But we don't have to worry about it anyway, one way or the other, by luck of the draw. Unfortunately, tragedy intervened. So even if they were really going to plow ahead with that. Yeah, I just uh, I mean, overall, I think I, I, I enjoyed the, se- the series that I have issues with things. And I think my biggest issue comes in. in and I've been on Wikipedia the whole time because I was going through, you know, episodes and kind of reminding myself what happened in each and things like that. But uh, there's a section on Wikipedia's entry for what if that says critical response. And I, I was just reading this uh, two seconds ago, and I think I think it does kind of give weight to what I didn't like about What If. And it says, the Hollywood reporters Angie Han believed, quote, for a series set in the infinite vastness of a multiverse, What If is dreaming awfully small, unquote. With some What If com- concepts uh, were not as compelling as others, she added that Wright gave each episode a boost of gravitas but noted the animation was awkward at times with some scenes approaching the uncanny valley and some of the returning actors gave robotic voice performances without the charisma of their live action portrayals. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I, I think at moments, maybe some of the voice acting. Yeah. But that first part that it's dreaming awfully small. I, I get it because to me, here's the, here's the, in both the, the, the beautiful thing about what if and the detrimental thing kind of wrapped in one. The reason I love what if isn't necessarily about the individual stories. It's that this thing exists for the public to consume. Like it's one thing for us as comic book fans to be like, wow, everybody likes, and, and you can say what you want about like Captain Marvel or, or the Guardians of the Galaxy or Ant Man or anything like that. But the public knows what those names mean now. And some people out there, regardless of how we may feel about those interpretations of those comic characters, love Brie Larson's uh, Captain Marvel uh, and, and, and are obsessed with it in the same way that a comic book fan would be obsessed with the character in the series by a specific writer or artist. And like, And the fact that that's even a thing has blown a lot of comic book characters minds over the past years did we ever think we'd go a step further and get something in the public zeitgeist that was multiverse alternate universe stories and that the public would accept and love that too that's insane to me that's just like you know if ever there was a time like you know you know, we, we can we can go like, you know, the way Hollywood likes to portray it and people literally shoved in lockers and stuff. I, I I was picked on, but I wasn't that. It's just but when you look back on your own childhood and stuff, it's like the things that people gave you so much shit for loving back then and called you a geek and you were ostracized from the groups and all that stuff. You know, now that stuff makes up, you know, like geeks basically rule the world right now, pop culturally speaking. and like. The fact that we've gone, we've 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 passed, we've 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 passed several steps into the comic book world that now we're bringing multiverse, alternate universe tales to the surface, and people still love that. That's crazy. But I do agree that like, is it doing itself a disservice by not taking advantage of the format and the idea and introducing concepts and characters that didn't already exist in the MCU? Are they hurting themselves in some ways by locking themselves into telling alternate universe stories of the MCU you already know and not, they don't have to like go full adaptation of the comic book stuff, 
like you know one of my favorites is uh is is the what if silver surfer with possess the infinity gauntlet um or what if uh spider-man uh held the power cosmic or whatever i mean not the, the whatever uh, captain, universe, captain universe yeah yeah things like that like i really love those ones but they could have like they could have stuck with the MCU theme, but by also bringing in more we haven't seen yet. Did they do themselves a disservice by just what ifing the MCU and only the MCU? That's a, that's an interesting question because I've because my original thought was the same thing. My original thought when they announced this series is that we were we were going to get concepts that were not necessarily just tied to the MCU that we're going to be exploring. Which is what made more more stories and potentially that were just from the comic from the comic books with the what ifs what if what if Gwen Stacy hadn't been killed by the Green Goblin things like that that but based on the way Marvel does everything that it made sense that since the majority of people they are going to assume whether it's right or wrong that will be interested in this show will be people that have are MCU fans. So referencing characters and events and circumstances they've already seen and and if they were going to start doing things that they hadn't seen before in the on, in the movies in the MCU, it could open a can of worms. So I I so it didn't surprise me they went the route that they did. One of the things that did bother me, though, I liked I did like the idea more that these were going to be individual stories once it became clear, once we got to that Ultron showing up at the end of the Thor episode that they were going to have this connective tissue with all these other characters that we had seen before were going to come together. I didn't like that. I did. It is very MCU ish to have all this in in, that much like it's like a microcosm of what they've done in the movies and everything else is like, Oh, all these things exist, exist on their own, but they don't just exist on their own. We're showing you a, B and C because we're going to put them all together in Z. I I think it kind of hurt the show at the end, especially because again, some of the, some of the characters that they used as the guardians of the multiverse were kind of lame. They really were. So they certainly could have branched out and done just stories that are not related to at least specific events that we've seen on screen in the MCU. They could have touched on some of the things on some things that we know technically happened, but we never saw. Here's a good chance to see your Budapest Hawkeye Black Widow thing played out on screen at the end of the day. Yeah, I think on that level, I do agree that there was there were there were missed up. There were missed opportunities. But clearly. It, the implication is, until we see Multiverse of Madness, we're not going to know that they're laying the groundwork with some of these characters that we may actually see them in live action, too. And that could be why these we, we were given the characters that we were given and why they were in our face and things like that. And if that wasn't going to be the case, then, yeah, I think I think the choices were a, a lot shakier and they should have done could have made better decisions. But it probably is a bigger in in the big picture. They probably that they probably had a can, you know, this that's the reason why they, they did what they did in season one. For sure. All right. Anything else we want to say about this series? No, I think I think that we obviously we've talked a lot about in this episode about the show in general. So let's just let's just assume the answer is no. And if there's some pertinent point that pops into my head 20 minutes after we get done doing this, I'll just mention it next time. <laughs> <laughs> all right if people want to give us their thoughts on uh, what if how do they do that lanterncast at gmail.com the website is lanterncast.com we are on twitter and facebook use hashtag glcast to track us down on either location 
or at either location. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or text, 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, everybody. I guess, uh, no, we won't talk about it. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night.